Hi, everyone. Chuck Adica here for a Healthier Michigan podcast. We're bringing you a few bonus episodes from conversations at the 2022 Mackinac Policy Conference. This year, the conference is focusing on the business community's changing civic role in polarizing times. Throughout the conference, Michigan's business community will focus discussions and learnings around areas they can lead in advancing diversity as a strength, utilizing civility and facts in public discourse, building a culture of empathy, and advocating for the fundamental tenets of American democracy. We thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk to attendees about what they're doing to tackle these critical issues and how it's impacting Michiganders. We hope you enjoy these special episodes. On today's show, we'll be talking with CEO, President, and Chair of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, Quentin Messer, President of the Small Business Association of Michigan, Brian Kelly, President and CEO of Business Leaders for Michigan, Jeff D'Onofrio, and President and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club, Steve Gregorian. First up is CEO, President, and Chair of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, Quentin Messer. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for affording me this opportunity. What a great day. What a Come great, on. What a great event. I mean, just uh, yesterday we had summer, now we're back to a little crisp air, but that's okay, right? You know, that is, in many respects, one of the blessings of living in Michigan. You know, there is something, I grew up in Florida, so it yeah. was not four seasons, and I moved <laughs> up from Louisiana. But the seasonality, the beauty, um, yeah. and you know, after all that we've been through collectively for two years, and then the recent tragedies, the perspective of seeing people come together, people have difference of opinion, but really to come together, think about how can we collectively advance Michigan? Yeah. 10 million plus people who live on two peninsulas. This has been tremendous. This is my I guess first official, the fall was a little different, but this has been spectacular. I've learned a lot and, and look forward to uh, to learning even more. And isn't that a cool part of this event by itself, the coming together of different political natures of, you know, small business um, foundations, MEDC. I mean, there are lots of people working together for the same reasons to move forward. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it takes a, uh, I'm a big sports person and Football to me, you know, an NFL 53-man roster, it takes every person. You'll never know how great the quarterback is if the offensive tackle isn't blocking, if the center <laughs> doesn't yeah. hike the ball, if yeah. the receivers aren't running the right patterns, if the running backs aren't picking up the blitz coverage. And I think that type of spirit in a very difficult world, a polarized world that wants to sort of separate us, I think you're seeing from the top, from Governor Whitmer, from our leaders in the Republican Party, you know, Speaker Wentworth, I understand SML, Shirky has now arrived and others. Look, there'll be time for principle, rigorous debate. Yeah. But I think when you think about what unites us, it's every Michigander that deserves a right to be able to pursue upward economic mobility on both peninsulas. And explain to someone who's listening who doesn't know, MEDC does what? What is it? So great question. The MEDC, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, really has a lot of purposes, but I'll summarize them in three. I think most people across Michigan will know the Pure Michigan campaign. So right. Travel Michigan is underneath MEDC. Second thing we do is placemaking. So 
grants, development-ready communities, making sure that communities across both peninsulas have amenities, whether it's redevelopment and revitalization of downtowns, mm -hmm. mixed-use development. We've talked a lot about the missing mineral and housing and things of that nature. And then also we are focused on business attraction and retention of companies big and small. So a lot of times you hear about the great wins that we have with GM making historic announcement or LG Energy Solution or JR Automation or countless other companies across both peninsulas. But we do those three things. And then we also, the other thing I should, uh, I was uh, remiss to say, we support the Michigan Arts Council. And that's critically important. So we're a very unique structure within economic development organization. I'm privileged to be a part of the team. And so when you look at Travel Michigan and Pure Michigan, obviously we see nationwide headlines as well as here in the state, people racing back, right? And then it was a, maybe it didn't go away as much, but you know, the race to RVs, that get a boat, let's mm -hmm. recreate, let's get out in the fresh air, maybe perceptually the healthy air, or maybe not, just was. But that's continued and then some, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, Michigan has been very blessed to have a vibrant and important tourism and hospitality sector. Yeah. And, you know, I moved up from New Orleans. I can tell you, tourism there is great, but it's very different. It is very tactile. It is inside. You know, and so when COVID hit, it really attacked the essence of New Orleans. Mm. I mean, people share drinks, they share food, they hug, they music, kiss. Music, yeah, all music. that's I mean, inside, it's, it's, mostly. It's very yeah. inside. Yeah. Whereas here in Michigan, yes, it affected. There are deep things that continue. we continue to rebuild. But you can go out on a boat. You can go yeah. um, in the winter, you could snowmobile. You can snowshoe. You can ski. You can do so many different things. And so I think what this continues to underscore is the versatility of Michigan. And, um, you know, we have to continue to stay safe and we're doing that. But it's just tremendous to be able to see the, the scenic beauty um, here. And um, it's a big part of why Michigan, I think, is going to be a climate winner. You know, a lot of what we're seeing now, we had tragedy and our continued thoughts and prayers with our friends and neighbors in Gaylord. But mm -hmm. that's the exception that proves the rule. You know, hurricane season just started in Louisiana right? and along the Gulf Coast. We don't have that. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have tornadoes, wildfires, although there was you know, wildfire in, in the UP. But those are exceptions. When you look at the science, having proximity to 20% of the world's fresh water is a strategic asset that's not going away. And so I'm very optimistic about how Michigan will evolve as extreme weather not only affects corporate decisions, but our friends and neighbors across this country, across this world, are rapidly becoming climate migrants and Michigan is going to be a winner and we need to grow our population. Do you get feedback from the companies that have come or expanded in Michigan that they understand these natural resources and what, the, because that can be looked at as a part of a pitch, you know, pure Michigan, here are the trees, got a bunch of blue, you know, spruce trees with snow on them. Who doesn't like the picture, right? Do you get feedback after the fact that some of the reasons people came were some of the very reasons that you're talking about the natural resources, the workforce, the access to fresh water, right? Yeah, great question. I think increasingly so. I mean, we are living in a world which a lot of companies, whether it be in the EV, battery, mobility space, mm -hmm. there's a great sensitivity to sustainability and having alternative sources and reducing carbon footprint and things of that nature. And those are very water-intensive, power-intensive yeah. processes. And so, you know, we have great you know, utility leadership with our public, our two publicly traded 
Michigan-based utilities, Consumers Energy, DTE, that do incredibly well. The work that Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan is doing, the social determinants of health and showing mm -hmm. the connectivity to the lived environment, to health conditions, those things are critically important because it's difficult to tap into Michigan's greatest assets, which are the people, the human beings who live here, if they're not healthy. And, and the fact that we are, you know, the governor, the leaders in the legislature are pushing in a bipartisan way to have a climate agenda that's responsive, that understands the market, that doesn't unfairly burden small mm. and medium-sized businesses, is critically important and a part of why well, I'm very optimistic and bullish about Michigan's future. What's changed in the past couple of years during the pandemic that you can see is uh, maybe turned into opportunity for you as you look forward now? Yes, that's a great question. You know, I think there are three things. I think one, we are much more sensitive about the mobility of talent. I think that there is, you know, once upon a time, I grew up in a generation where you have a job, you're just grateful for a job. You didn't care what a job was. <laughs> yeah. But companies understand that they have to re-recruit the employee. And I think that's given tremendous opportunity. Those companies, many of them Michigan-based, are being very flexible. But I also think, you know, in the hybridization of work, people sort of say, why wouldn't I want to live in Michigan year-round? You know, I come during the summer, yeah. hey, if I can work year-round, there are things that have to be true. There has to be reliable, stable, consistent internet access. And we're doing that. They have to be housing that's affordable. And so that's one thing. The mobility of work has forced us to rethink how do we grow and attract and retain talent. I think the second thing we realized in the pandemic is our interconnectedness and our vulnerability. I mean, the thing about the yeah. pandemic was no matter how rich, no how poor, where you lived, the virus didn't care. It was a very equal opportunity, tragic destroyer and displacer mm -hmm. of life. And I think we understand that interconnectivity and it helped give us perspective on that which is important. Yeah, we've got to have vigorous, this principled policy differences is fine, but we've got to put people first. We have to understand that upward economic building matters. And then I think the third thing that I think we learned from the pandemic is we got back to thinking about the tremendous assets that we have here as a state. The people, first asset, great geography, a rich and diverse corporate base, 17 Fortune 500 companies, you know, 50 plus publicly traded companies, industry that moved the world, the mobility sector, yeah. we still would be at home. So we have a lot of assets and we are grateful for them. Well, you know, I think what's really encouraging to me is that uh, as we've talked to numerous guests today, yourself included, the big picture ideas that can sometimes sound bigger than self, which is good, gives us aspirations. You're talking about people. You keep pointing back to people. And that's the richness of the state, that this is the, the kind of policies and, and partnerships that will really touch individuals that makes the state great. And that's encouraging, I think, to all of us. Yeah, it's great that you said. I should have said, you asked me, what, you know, what does MEDC do? What does the Michigan Economic Development Corporation do? Economic development matters only to the extent that people matter. Yeah. I mean, it's about improving those dinner table conversations. Does the family have the money to send the young person to a summer camp? Yeah. Do they have money for childcare, air elder care? Can people retire with dignity? Mm -hmm. And those things are critically important. And it only happens when you have a vibrant economy 
that grows companies across multiple different sectors and companies of all sizes on both peninsulas. Well, Quentin Messer, it's good to have you with us. I thank you for taking a little time to drop by and see us. I'm very grateful. Thank yeah. you for what you do, and stay safe and well. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you do the same. Quentin Messer, who's CEO, President, and Chair of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, the MEDC. Next up is President of the Small Business Association of Michigan, Brian Kelly. Good to see you. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me back. I wanted to say, you know, we saw each other a year ago. It wasn't. It was just, what, September? Yeah, it was just a few months ago. It's just time yeah. really, really flies. But it's nice to be here in May because it's longer days. You remember in September last year, it seemed like, you know, it was already getting dark so early that... Um, this is better. This is the time of year to do it. Plus, it's just different again this year, right? I mean, in terms of protocols and everything, more people, you just feel like things are a bit back to normal. Is that your perspective? It really is. It's kind of yeah. nice to be able to just, in, you know, engage and enjoy people. And, you know, it's not that we totally don't have COVID on our mind, but it's the back of our mind, not the front. Yeah. So officially, the small business community looks to your organization to represent them how? What are, what are your number one charges, number one through three? Whatever. Yeah, we have we do a lot of things. The association yeah. has been around for 53 years, 30,000 members, the largest association of our kind in America. And there's a lot of doors to come through. People know us through the advocacy and the political work that we do, but that's a relatively small part of the operation. It's just the only part that makes the news. but. Insurance, we actually have a wonderful uh, long-term exclusive relationship with the Blue Cross family of uh, companies. So Dearborn Life, Accident Fund for uh, okay. Workers' Comp, and then, uh, of course, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Medical and Dental. But we do consolidated billing and COBRA administration alongside uh, that. So that, And then uh, 401k uh, for smaller companies, pooled employer plans. So a lot of great employee benefit suite of issues that are, um, that are available to our members. But then there's compliance, education, best practice education. Some of our most popular offerings are peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning, where we put business owners together mm. and they learn together, they problem solve together and, and uh, grow together. So it's a really great dynamic environment that includes a lot of different facets. And lot, so there's a lot of reasons why our 30,000 members joined us and it really has become quite a force. So there's gotta be a lot of B2B connections then, like you're talking about, like this event, right? I mean, you meet somebody and I see business cards being exchanged and you just don't know from that connection at the foundation to a business, to a government official, exactly where the happiness occurs, but oftentimes, you know, the people win. Magic happens when yeah. you put decision makers together. I look at this, one of the most important gatherings in our state each year is the policy conference on the island yeah. and it's relationship building but it's also it would take me three months to do the series of meetings that i've had in the last three days wow so it's a very efficient way of doing it as well so you got to take time you know away from the regular office you got to get here and you know the island you, you got to make an effort you got to make it a priority if you want to be here take a boat for the most part <laughs> but there's a, a lot of a lot of value to it but you, you're a jogger, so, I mean, you've got a pace about you, I guess, at times that would allow you to, you know, your blood pressure is low for the most part, and you're a trained guy, so when you're trying to get from meeting to meeting, that must work out pretty well. Yeah, and I like to stay at Mission Point so that I can bring my dog, but that's quite a ways from the, from oh, the Grand Hotel. Oh, I know, hotel, I'm there so. with you. I think I'm in the same building as you, so I know I, what you mean. It's I, a, get, I get my steps in every <laughs> single day, yeah. it's a, but what a beautiful environment. And the nice thing is it's been great weather this week. 
the yeah. um you know there there's sometimes there's been years where it's been a little bit wet trying to get around but uh could not ask for more i mean they had to take pictures for the chamber of oh, commerce it's just today. beautiful yeah just beautiful so we've navigated you were talking last september about you know coming out of COVID, and now we hope we're really coming out but what have you noticed even in a shift in just the past eight nine months in terms of your 30,000 members, what's happening in business in Michigan? Are you seeing actual change? I'll start with, the, you know, the good news is that people are still turning to entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. we see actually more new business starts in the last couple of years than we've seen during normal times. But it's come with a lot of challenges in terms of staffing for the last, yeah. really going back years, but especially the last year, challenges in fully staffing up and taking full advantage of the opportunity and the demand for goods and services right now. But now the rising cost environment is really squeezing small business owners. You know, small businesses have very little pricing power as buyers or sellers. So when inflation is as high as it is, they kind of get squeezed on yeah, both ends. Yeah. And that is that has shot up to the top concern. Now, the monetary policies are changing at the federal level. I think that it will eventually get it under control, but it's going to be a tough year for rising, for managing in a rising cost environment. If you think about it, most people who own a business, business today did not own a business 40 years ago the last time we saw an environment like this. Yeah. And for many small businesses, I guess, if you're being squeezed, you can only raise prices so high before you know your customers think well you can afford to take it out of your pocket and you can't make that up in volume if you're losing money yeah when you have costs that are rising and it's not like the world's any less competitive on, sure. the, on the pricing on the sales side so it really does create a dynamic where I think it'll it'll force some changes um, you already see tough decisions when to be open and not you know only to be open yeah. when you have the type of traffic that makes it worth it so you can pay higher wages when you are open and attract the best talent so there's changes in that way but i also think that we're probably on the verge of a productivity revolution and i think that because we have to I, there's no reason looking at our demographics there's no reason to believe mm -hmm. that it's going to get any easier to find people any time in the near future right in the primary education system age by age you see that these cohorts of students get smaller and smaller and uh and so when you look at those demographic change challenges we have a, an aging population here in michigan as compared to a lot of other states we've had more retirements over age 55 than what we would normally see mm -hmm. as well so that really has it's taken our labor force participation rate below 60 percent and I don't know when the last time that happened, but it wasn't during my lifetime. I'm 45, you know, so there's a, it's been a long time since we've seen this. And that's why looking at the demographics, it's not gonna get any easier soon. And therefore something has to give. And I think that productivity gains you know, that's where it's going to show up. People are going to figure out how to still do business, but with less people. On a different side of the coin, do you see people, baby boomers or 50, 55 plus, who have been part of the, the shift, the great resignation? Are they coming back out of retirement to become an entrepreneur? Are you seeing that? Maybe not as a trend, but... Is yeah, it it's, there? it's hard to know what's driving the entrepreneurship in real time because the only reason that we know that new businesses are being started is because you have to file for an employer identification number with the IRS. Yeah. And so we see how many of those are happening and whether they have planned wages or not because that's in the filing. But otherwise, like what industry that they're in, what, yeah. it'll, it'll have to be a look back to see 
who it is. Now, I know anecdotally, though, that there are a lot of professional people that provide professional services for one company that are going out on their own. They might do accounting or bookkeeping or marketing. Or, you know, it's just some sort of professional service to say, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own. My former employer will be a client of mine, but I'm yeah. also going to take on other clients. Like that type of thing is happening where they're seeing, and at the same time, businesses that are struggling to find people are willing or considering outsourcing when they hadn't done that before because they have no other options. So I think these things are coming together to provide some, but it's also, you know, side hustles. You know, there's more flexibility in the workplace than there has ever been. And so in the, in the old days, you know, in the pre-pandemic times, people had to choose, do I want to start a business or keep sure. my W-2 wages? And the environment out there for a lot of professions now is that people can do both. Well, and you're talking about productivity. I mean, if you're uh, even in the mental health field, I know someone who said, if I can stay home and do mental health service online, basically right. telehealth and work from home in my jammy pants, why would I go to work for a big organization? It's just me and I'm part of my own company. So that's kind of what you're talking about. It is. Yeah. And, and I won't be surprised if that is really what's driving this, is that yeah. just the flexibility, the remote work, productivity, doing things differently, and the desperation of the business world to find people to provide the services that they need to deliver their end product or service. I think that all comes together to create opportunity and ambitious people are finding a way to capitalize on that. So several threads here at the policy conference running through, you know, that we hear about a lot. We're talking about uh, inclusivity. We're talking about diversity, different challenges for very small businesses. Right. So I think opportunities in some ways, but also challenges. What are you seeing that in this polarizing time for some? Yeah, big challenges. But that's the other thing, you know, between the movement behind diversity, equity and inclusion, I think is really kind of aligning well with the need and the desire mm. of the business world to find people to just make everything work. Yeah, yeah. And it's bringing diverse and different um, ideas and people and backgrounds to the table. And I think it, while sometimes there's growing pains when you have these societal changes like, like we see happening today, but out of it can come really good things. And um, I'm optimistic anyway, and I, I, but I kind of expect that. I just think it's the right time for a discussion around diversity where others that may have been closed-minded to this mm -hmm. discussion could look at it and say, but I need people. Yeah, like yeah. We, and so like, how can I engage in order to be more inclusive so that I've got a, a wider pool of people to draw from to make the business, make the operation, make the nonprofit, make the government, whatever work. Because if, if we're all not careful, it's really not just small business, but all of us, this shift to being more productive, if what you're saying is gonna happen, that could also include robots flipping burgers, right? I mean, at some point, we've got to be careful that we try to keep the humans involved because that's yeah. what's driving the machine. You, you know, know there, there's an old saying that productivity is the enemy of employment. And in the short term, I think that's generally true. Yeah. Right now, I don't think that we have to, it's a, it's a tough choice, just not enough people that either want to or have to work. I wouldn't be surprised a few years out that uh, that we'll see some people that the grass was you know was greener on the mm -hmm. other side and you get there and you find out okay it's not really i kind of liked you know being in the mix of things right. back in the workforce i won't be surprised if there's some of that but i also think it's difficult to it is difficult to win people back you know it's one thing for those that are under age 25 and that have younger kids 
winning them back when it's it's a matter of removing obstacles, child care issues, school being reliably mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. Those are people that really need to and are and generally want to come back. Those that are aspiring to retire and had a taste of that, it's hard for me to understand it. I don't think I'll ever retire. I, it's, like even when I go on vacation, I don't, you know, it's like sit on a beach and read a book. No, I mean, I get exhausted yeah, on my vacations. Yeah. It's stressful for me to sit still for too long. But to the extent that people really aspire to slow down and take it easy, it's just a different calculus to try to win them back into the workforce. Although I did have a guy the other day who retired who told me he missed going to get a cup of coffee from a machine and seeing his pals at work. He just doesn't like so there's a little of that, but I don't know yes. if there's enough of that, right? Yeah, and that, but that's the thing. The workplace has changed too. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea that you're not, you don't have the water cooler type right. of interactions like it was before, you know, coming out of politics and being a people person, it's, it, it is, it's a, it, some of this has been a difficult transition. And, and even as we run our association, 27 people work at the Small Business Association of Michigan, a hybrid work environment. Some people's work brings them into the office. Nobody's in 40 hours a week though. Mm. And um, while I know that it's, you know, we can effectively run the association that way. And I know that it's what employees demand. And if I want to keep good talent, I've got to respond to that demand. But I do miss my people. Yeah. Like, you know, as yeah. I see them on the screen, we talk on the phone, <laughs> we, you know, the work gets done. But uh, just that the personal interactions, getting to know people, I miss that. And, um, and I hope that even though I know it's not going to go back to how it was, the good old days, but it will, uh, I think it will trend somewhat back to people gravitating yeah. toward the office for people and culture and relationships. Well, I'm glad we got to see you in person last year and again this year. So thanks for coming by to see us. My pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me again. Brian Kelly, president of the Small Business Association of Michigan. And now, President and CEO of Business Leaders for Michigan, Jeff D'Onofrio. Good to see you. Good to see you, John. And I should say again, because again. we met when you were, what, fourth <laughs> or fifth grade? That's right. You came oh, to man. my school. See, I'm going to become the president of the Old People's Business Association. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. I don't feel that dated, but it's not good to see not. you. Yeah. You look good. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the association and, uh, and this Business Leaders of Michigan. What is it? Yeah, Business Leaders for Michigan has been around since 2009. Yeah. Uh, we used to be an organization called Detroit Renaissance that dates oh, yeah, back yeah. to you know the late 60s. That uh, was the business leaders around Detroit coming together to say, how do we make the region and Detroit specifically better? And in 2009, they looked at uh, you know the Great Recession and what was happening in our state, and they said, if the state can't succeed, because we were 49th out of 50 in the country at wow. that point, you know, Detroit's never going to get better. And so they they became a statewide organization. They bridged the the gap between the east and west and north business communities. And uh, you know, we have made a lot of progress since then. We're 29th, so from 49th to 29th. But uh, you know, the the challenge we have right now is how do you get from middle to top? That's yeah. a lot harder. And so our organization is made up of the CEOs of the largest employers in the state. They represent uh, a trillion dollars worth of economic activity, 40% of the state's economy, and a half a million people. Um, wow. And they're, they're there because they want to make Michigan better. And how do you corral those people? I mean, because they've obviously got other associations, they've got their own business to run. So it's quite a commitment. I mean, it's like people asking me, how many boards can you join? You know, so it must be quite a challenge in some ways. Well, you know, it's a it's a real opportunity because okay, that's when they word, speak yeah. with one voice, they can get things done. Mm -hmm. They have legislators here and they also know what it's going to take in their local communities. They know what it's going to take for their workforce. 
and they know what challenges they see because most of them operate across the country and, and most of them globally as well. Yeah. So they're seeing trends in other other states and countries. So, you know, I was talking to a CEO in a furniture company on the west side of the state who's a member of our board. And he said, you know, in Michigan, students are three years behind those in France from the same grade level, the same age. And it's a challenge to get our executives to actually go over to France because their kids are so far behind. And then it's a challenge once they're there to get them back because their kids are so far ahead. So that's the type of insight they bring. Wow. Uh, and it's why we focus on things like education. So what do you see? You're talking about opportunities, but in the short term, coming out of COVID, God willing, we're doing that. Are we seeing challenges that you're still finding reflections back from these business leaders? A lot of challenges. Yeah. And I think the biggest ones around talent, talent availability, talent quality. You know, the uh, the labor force participation in the state of Michigan is 41st in the country. Uh, we're 44th on growth. We lost a lot of people out of the labor force during COVID. 190,000 women mm. left the, the labor force that still haven't come back. Men have actually uh, increased the number of people in the workforce since, okay. since COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's things like childcare. That's things, there are barriers to work, elder care. You know, it's it's the flexibility that's necessary. And I think a lot of people are reevaluating what do they actually want to do with their careers? Do they want to be in service industry jobs, which were really tough? You see a lot of people leaving teacher, uh, the teaching profession or healthcare. And, you know, one of the things they're trying to do and, and we're encouraging is go back and get some skills, get that, uh, you know, higher paying job, get that credential, that associate's degree, bachelor's mm -hmm. degree, uh, apprenticeship. That's going to put Michigan in a, in a different place because what's challenging for us is 10 years ago, you know, we've always thought of ourselves as more educated than the South, right? Uh, states yeah, like Georgia, yeah. Tennessee, Kentucky. And 10 years ago, that was true. Today, Georgia and Kentucky are more educated than us. And, you know, Tennessee is right on our heels. So this is a competitiveness issue. This isn't an education issue. So it used to just be that you, I would meet people that were maybe midlife and they're trying to reinvent themselves for the second half of life. Now, coming out of COVID, even my kids are thinking it's way more than a gig economy. It's You don't need my permission to dream again or your permission. But that's an encouraging idea that people should think about dreaming again. What could they be that they didn't think they could have been maybe when they even left high school and went into college? Absolutely. Yeah. 87% of our members are going to believe they're going to have trouble hiring in the next six to 12 months. Mm. And one of the key reasons is a skills gap, not having the right credentials. Uh, and not having the number of applicants that they need. So there is huge opportunity out there, particularly in this period of time, for folks to advance in a career, to change jobs. And, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. If it puts them in you know, a higher quality of life, a better sure. income, uh, it's going to help our state. Uh, we have a personal experience at home. One of our daughters uh, changed jobs, but she's working mainly from home because they just had a baby 11 months ago. So she's she actually wound up with a, quote unquote, better job, pays more, but yet it was more adaptable to her lifestyle. But she had to sit a minute and think out of the box, what could that mean? And there you go. Now, employers are struggling with what is the future of hybrid work. I know. Right? Yeah. And uh, especially in a labor-constrained environment, uh, they want to be very flexible, which can be a very good thing, like you said, for uh, yeah. new parents, for working uh, parents who need to be home when uh, the kids are getting out of school. There are a lot of, I think, creative solutions that employers are looking at, and that's still being fleshed out right now. But so challenges and opportunities, right, with talent yeah. as we come out of COVID. But it has to be challenging because as an employer, you also want your people to be productive, that's accountable, right. right? You can't just be sitting at home with a cup of coffee and doing nothing and getting paid for it. Chuck, that's the other side of it. And, and we're hearing, you know, some anecdotal evidence and, and some real statistics now that say individuals and team members who are not in the office are less productive. Uh. Uh, it takes longer time for them to actually solve a problem. 
you know, they are they're stunted in their promotional opportunity too, because let's say, you know, you and I are working in the same department. I'm in the office every day and, and you're at home. You don't get that casual yeah. interaction. Yeah. So what do you see as the future for then attracting employees? Is a large part of this really is the forward momentum and excitement of opportunity alone? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, you you know, there was a CEO who said uh, here, you know, the talent war is over and talent won, right? They're going to be able to, individuals can vote with their feet and go to a company that uh, they want to be a part of because it's more than just getting a paycheck. Uh, and I think employers are recognizing that. And I also think, again, this is an opportunity for Michigan with our, you know, natural beauty. I mean, my God, we're looking out on the, you know, from the Grand Hotel porch right now. It, yeah. You know, it's spectacular up here. And I, I can tell you anecdotally how many people I know who were in Chicago or who else were from uh, from Michigan originally who've moved up to Traverse City area or moved up north uh, during the pandemic and stayed. So we really need to market to talent, not just the pure Michigan for tourism, but pure Michigan for talent as well to get more people to come here. And, and Chuck, I'll just say one other thing. We've got to have immigration reform because it is killing us. And in the future, we are going to be completely uncompetitive as a country mm. if we can't attract more immigrants, especially high quality, high skilled immigrants. Yeah. Well, and that's beyond high tech, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not just, and I don't mean to diminish that, but no. that's everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Jeff, it's good to see you. Again, Great to see you too. Uh, and you know, you've planted this seed. I guess I could do my entire job just from Mackinac Island or Petoskey or Harbor Springs. Is that what you're saying? Could I you think talk it's very possible. People? In fact, yeah. I, I would just put down stakes here and don't move. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see what happens. The bacon right? is yeah. good. I'll just there tell you, you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff D'Onofrio is here. It is so good to see you, President and CEO of the Business Leaders from Michigan. Be well. Thanks so much. Yeah. And finally, President and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club, Steve Gregorian. The Detroit Economic Club was formed back when as a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization committed to the discussion and debate of important business and government and social issues. And I think that mission has never been more important, especially here on Mackinac Island. Steve Gregorian is here. He's the president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club. It is a, a pleasure to see you. Well, thanks for having me, yeah, Chuck. Oh, Good to pleasure. see you, too. Yeah, yeah. What a great conference, huh? It's been fascinating just to watch and listen to all of the innovation taking place. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to see how we're changing. I know some people would call it, uh, and I've heard this more than once in various ways, and I think it's, uh, well, I guess it could be outright demeaning, a schmooze fest. It is way more than that. It's got so much import to it. I'm doing a little bit of all of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing some schmoozing, but I'm also doing some listening and yeah. learning as well. And what are you learning from what's going on here this year? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is nobody's up here crying that things have changed. And I'm just learning that everybody's going through some massive disruption and change. And I don't think anybody is going to be able to predict accurately what the next year or two will look like. I mm -hmm. think just in terms of hybrid workforce, remote stuff, innovation in the workplace, I think it's going to take a couple of years before things settle out and we can say, okay, this is where we're headed with all of this stuff. So we've heard the words Detroit Economic Club, you know, in the news here and there, right? At times, if you're the average person, you kind of get a glimpse of it on social media. What is the Economic Club? What do you actually do for the community? Yeah, that's a great question. We're a membership organization. We've got a lot of Southeast Michigan's business, civic, nonprofit, government leaders that attend our events. We mm -hmm. typically do 25 to 35 
mostly lunch events where we bring in thought leaders, but people join because of the networking and conversations that take place before, during, and after the programs. And then it's great to hear from the prominent thought leaders we can bring to the podium. And our intent there is we want you to drive back to your office or home going, okay, I just learned something about this particular industry that maybe I can use to better my business in the future, better myself as a professional in the future. And you do tend to attract some pretty big names, let's just say. We're really lucky. (laughs) We've, yeah, since 1934, we're one of the most valued podiums in the world for executives, top government officials. We've hosted every president since Richard Nixon in 1960. Mm. Tons of cabinet members, tons of Fortune 100 CEOs, tons of world thought leaders. So part of the mission, as you're explaining it, is also this connection of business leaders, the B2B part of this, right? Where they can learn from each other and also maybe work with each other. If you ask our members, and we do frequently, why do you join the DEC? Why do you come to our, our events? It is because it's an opportunity to share ideas, best practices, and thought leadership and network with Mm -hmm. others in the room, build relationships. And then, of course, everybody likes to hear from prominent people who are much smarter than they are. Yeah, well, that's always good, right? So uh, this particular year, this conference, we've got certain threads that are running through it diversity, inclusion, but civility is a big thing. And when you have people trying to build relationships from different sides of the state, different mindsets politically, there's a challenge. But what are you seeing? What are you encouraged by that you're even seeing here on the island? Well, I would say, first of all, I applaud the chamber and ARN and the Mackinac Policy Conference. I think they've really done a great job sticking to the theme. Every single program, and I've attended just about every one, it's all been about civility. And, you know, we've all heard this before. God gives us two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion. And I think people are understanding that. I think that I've heard a lot of people that are a bit fearful about where we may be headed if we don't just do a better job listening to each other and yeah. understanding positions and why you have come to those positions. You don't have to agree with those positions. But just understand what made that person come to that position. And that alone is a shift, I think, don't you, uh, from maybe previous years where this isn't just listening, but the learning part of that, The maybe the action part is, has changed a bit. Well, again, I'll applaud the, the chamber. They do a really good job of keeping a, a scoreboard of what they wanted to do coming yeah. out of the previous conference. And they reported on on that this morning as well. So I think it is a results-oriented conference. And you've mentioned that about your own your your organization as well, right? This idea that you're going to track what's what's impactful, so you're able to hone what you're doing, the speakers, the messaging, etc. So I think there there is a a really high impact to what's gone on in the past and what's going to come out of the future here on the island. Well, I think to a lot of our members, business members are certainly interested in the future of work Mm -hmm. and we've got a lot of thought leadership coming about that idea as well so yeah lots of and of course look it's an election year right midterm elections coming up so we're always very active in bringing top government officials to the dec so we want people from both sides r's and d's 
to listen and make up your own mind, but certainly listen to the other side. You don't have to agree with it, but just listen to it and understand. So you've been attending many of these uh the conferences within the conferences, what are the uh, innovative ideas? Are, are, is there anything that's really jumping off a page where you say, not only can that happen, it is happening or it will happen? Something that's a diamond in the rough that's going. Well, I've heard a lot of conversation about how we need to and can get more cohesive here in the state of Michigan, because certainly we have to do that in order to attract more business to Michigan and become more competitive, mm -hmm. especially what we've all heard a lot about the electric vehicle battery right. plants and right. the massive competition, intense competition going on uh, around the country for that. And we want to own that piece of it. And I think cohesion is got to be a big part of this. And so we've got to come together. It's business, it's government, got to come together, present a unified front so we make these investors feel comfortable that we've got their backs. And we've had more than one guest uh, for some of these podcast episodes right here at this table talking about the idea that their charge is to inspire young people, right, for the workforce of the future. That's got to be key for some of these businesses that are looking to stay in Michigan, much less grow. Where, where are we going to get the talent in the workforce? From? Well, certainly talent is a huge, huge issue across the nation, but especially yeah. here in Michigan, because so many of our jobs depend on STEM capabilities, right? Yeah. And we've got to do a great job. We've got to do a better job with that. I know it's been a struggle for the last 10 years. We had, uh, in fact, I think you just talked to Jeff Donofrio, okay. and we had Thank Jeff you. from Business Leaders for Michigan at the Detroit Economic Club just a couple of weeks ago. He gave a report out, and it wasn't very encouraging on any movement, any positive movement on our K-12 through education in the last 10 years. That's a big deal, because there's yeah. other states that have leapfrogged us, and that's where the talent will come from. And if I'm an investor looking to make a battery plant or some, you know, a home somewhere else, sure. I want to go where the talent is. So talent is a gigantic issue. We talked about civility, the idea of finding a way to bring empathy into our conversations where we're at least willing to lean in on, on you know, what, what are you saying to me that maybe I don't relate to or even agree with? Is that less hard today? Do you think we're having enough conversations around the idea of civility and bringing empathy to a conversation? Is everybody getting it now? I'd like to say yes. I can't sit here with yeah, a straight yeah. face and tell you that that's happening. We are having more conversations. I don't know if it's impactful or not. I think people are still pretty well positioned where they're positioned, and we can just hope that we can continue yeah. to have conversations to make sure they understand. You've got to... Again, use your two ears and listen. Opportunities for the future, you see, as we wrap up here, what are a couple things you would say are highlights? What do you see maybe next two to five years? I'm actually hopeful. We, we've got a young leader membership base of about one-third of our members. They're age 21 through 39. Between those folks, the millennials, and then the Gen Zs, I think they're going to make some of the old establishment change the way we do things because... They're going to demand changes, and they've got the power of their phone, their social media networks. They know how to gather large groups behind a cause yeah. using technology. And I think they're going to demand some of the change that it may be just demanding that a 
corporation change their position on something, mm -hmm. right? That's powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. They can demand that legislators make a change on this particular yeah. issue. And I'm hopeful that we can see some of those changes that those folks have said, enough's enough. You're, you're leaving us with, a, you know, this older generation is leaving us with a lot of problems. You're not taking care of the problems. We're going to take care of it ourselves. So you mean my five millennial kids have more power than me? I never thought of it that way, Steve. Sorry, Chuck. They've got the phone and they've got, <laughs> yes, they've always had the power over <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. I guess you're right. Well, Steve Gregorian, it's good to see you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for being with us. Steve Gregorian, who's the president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club. Thanks for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. We regularly cover a variety of wellness topics featuring the advice and experience of many leading experts to help you lead a healthier life. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out a healthiermichigan.org slash podcast or leave us a review or rating on iTunes or Stitcher. To get new episodes on your smartphone or tablet, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.